Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Brett Brown. He is a 3D footwear designer at Nike. In this conversation, we discuss his childhood growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina, most commonly known for being the hometown of Michael Jordan, but it was also the epicenter of a thriving black community in the late 1800s until it became violently dismantled and its history erased for generations. Brett also takes us on his journey into corporate America, where he shares his first-hand experience dealing with a myriad of interpersonal blunders, which many black and brown people experience as microaggressions in the workplace. These stories are all too common and part of a much bigger issue of systemic racial inequality. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presence. Man, oh man. Welcome to Opening Presence, take two. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Aaron Robinson. I am joined by Mr. Brett Brown. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you for having me. (laughs) This is definitely take two. Uh, I definitely messed up. <laughs> we just did 30 minutes and forgot to record on the other microphone. Yeah. So and we were just getting in. I know we were just getting in. We were just getting in. But hey, hey, at least we're warmed up right now. So, <laughs> so Brett, do you want to let these people know who you are and, and what you're all about? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Brett Brown. Uh, I'm a 3D designer at Nike. I uh, live here in Portland, Oregon, originally from North Carolina. Um, and friends here with Aaron and he asked me to come on and talk about some stuff. So we're here. Here I am. Hell yeah. My apartment. Yeah. This beautiful (laughs) apartment. That's what we led with last time. Brett basically like lives in Batman's lair, but like, not like the house, (laughs) like the underground lair where like all like the, like all like the, the tanks and the weapons and stuff with like the light on top and stuff. That's what this place feels like. Ultimate bachelor pad is what, yeah. I, is what I've been doing. The ultimate bachelor pad indeed. So how have you been doing? What's been on your mind lately? I know the state of the world has kind of shifted dramatically for a lot of people and, and forced a lot of people to think about certain things in, in, in this new climate. So what, what, what's been on your mind? Man, um, yeah, I don't uh, – yeah. This climate isn't really interesting for me because I feel like I've been having so much meaningful, I'm going to stress that, meaningful dialogue with a lot of different people about a lot of different topics, uh, all revolved around like race, uh, from protesting to sharing personal experiences, um, a little exhausted, which I think I've, I've heard a lot of people that I've talked about kind of feeling. Sure. Uh, definitely similar similar feeling but uh this period of time has also i don't know made me like very open to like share like my story my experiences because i feel like people are listening now yeah and you know i think more stories need to be told yeah definitely it you you 
touched on on sharing your story and and that's one of the reasons which prompted me to want to sit down with you outside of you being a brilliant 3d designer and photographer but like you shared a story on your instagram uh prompted by a trevor noah post that he was talking about microaggressions and and black black people in the workplace and how we have to basically move through life trying to make white people comfortable and and you had uh, express some of like your own experiences in that. And I'm sure, uh, are new to a lot of people because it's Mm. like, well, we, we finally get to share our story and the things that we deal with on the day-to-day basis that, that, that aren't common knowledge and, and may come as a surprise. But now that, like you said, people are listening, uh, it's like we have to share our story to move things forward as well because that's that's a key component is like that's the only way things are going to get better is that we all speak up and, and use our voices. So I guess what are some of the things that you reflected on uh, in that uh, that post and, and your reflection to it? Yeah, so a friend of mine has sent me um, a Trevor Noah video where he talked about, um, I guess, Blacks in, 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 in the workplace or Blacks in corporate America. And he kind of went from, uh, he started it off talking about uh, names, Black sounding names and how much, uh, if you have a Black sounding name, how, how different that makes you look on paper and how it changes your likelihood to like get an interview. Um, and then he went in uh, talking about like the microaggressions that if you get past that, you know, name check, with your resume, you get hired than the things that you have to deal with, like working in like a predominantly white space. And it really made me think, I was like, man, you know, uh, one of the things that I've heard since I was a kid from my own people being black people and other people is, wow, you got a white sounding name. Like I've never met another black person named Brett. And then it made me think like, man, like did my parents do me a favor? by giving me this white sounding name because on paper I sound so non-threatening like mm. Brett the, the name in itself Brett is not like a name you hear like ooh like yeah like ooh I, I don't know I don't know about that <laughs> you know <laughs> it's you like you definitely have straight straight hair you definitely surf or skateboard yeah yeah Brett yeah you know what I'm saying so yeah it's um yeah, so whenever he, he talks a lot about that, I was like, wow, yeah. Like, it, it kind of brought me back to some stories or some uh, things that I've been through, like, specifically, like, revolving around, like, my name from, like, um, working in, like I said, corporate um, America. Um, so before I go in on this, uh, backtrack a little bit. So I work at Nike now, but uh, before getting into footwear, I spent about 10 years in the video game industry. Uh, so I worked at EA, EA Games, um, all in the game, uh, for about six years. Worked at a startup down in uh, Miami, and then switched to footwear uh, in New Hampshire at, at Cole Haan. Uh, I was only there for about a year and a half. Um, but all of these jobs that I've had, I've pretty much been like the only one of me. Like I think I've probably, I could probably. Let me see. I'm trying to count the number of like total black people that I've seen in my workspace, like outside of me. I may have worked with three or four other black people 
And if I did see other black people at these jobs, it was like custodial staff or something like that. Uh, so I guess I've, I've realized that I've gotten very, very comfortable, I guess, in, you know, what you could say, like white spaces. Mm -hmm. With that, I've worked with a lot of people who, because of me being in these white spaces or working in these types of careers where there's not a lot of uh, representation, that I'm probably the first or like one of the only black people that they've like had to interact with on a daily basis, you know, not to say that, you know, nobody is around black people all the time, but like, depending on where you grow up, yeah, there might be a, a couple of black kids that go to your school, but like, how close are you with them? Like how much time do you actually spend with them? Mm -hmm. You might see them in passing. Yo, that's such and such. You see them in passing, but like, do you really spend time with them? So in my experience being in, in these, in these spaces, I've constantly had to deal with these little microaggressions, you know, um, with the way that I talk, the way that I sound, colleagues saying, oh, Brett, man, you're, you're like the whitest black dude I've ever met. Mm. Like, oh, man, like, yo, like you, you sound white. Like, why, why you talk like that? Uh, that's from working, like from growing up, hearing other kids, black kids, like, oh, why, why you, why, why do you speak so well? Why, why you? Like, why are you trying to sound like a white boy? Like, do you think you're better than us? Like, why, why do you talk like that? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so, yeah, just, just to start off, that, that video just kind of made me think about a lot of those experiences. And it just made me kind of just go on like a... I was literally, like, at my computer desk when I was supposed to be working. And then I saw that video and I was like, oh, man, like, I just need to get some stuff out of my head. Mm -hmm. And I just started like stream of consciousness. Yeah. And yeah. Just like let it all out. Yeah, it, like, it, I just thing. went like story after story and just started, you know, it was the Instagram por uh, story. Like I probably like put something in like a more proper format, but like, yeah, I just, just straight from. Yeah. Better head, out on, than on, in. On, it's on like, imagine it's like going like you've gone this long in your life without like definitively putting it all out for more than just like the people that you're close to and like sharing it to like people that are have read it like aren't even close to you and don't even know these stories and and would never know how to broach the subject or even ask or or even understand or approach the conversation because it's like without you expressing it it's like it never existed yep and and that's how america is kind of gone this whole time it's like oh this unspoken thing if it's like if it's not spoken then it doesn't exist or i'm going to plead ignorance to it but it's, it's 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 so damn important for us to to share our stories like i grew up similarly as as being i'm an aaron robinson so i'm, I'm equally not <laughs> yeah, as threatening yeah. but but to that point i'm just not impressive on paper anyways mm. like i'm 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 a very irl impressive but on paper just never never really resonated but uh yeah i always grew up with the non with the like you sound like a white boy all that kind of stuff and then growing up growing up in a in a predominantly white part of san diego or san diego's all white anyways and mexican um but but yeah not really feeling at home anywhere like mm -hmm. like all the white kids okay i'm gonna try to be like the white kids and i played like white quote-unquote white sports like baseball and like i 
bodyboard and go to the beach and paintball and doing all those kinds of things. And then like to, to finally like hang out, like I had, I had a decisive moment where I was like, I need to hang out with more uh, black kids. And it's like, I go across town to the other high school to hang out with them. But then like, I'd kind of like change my vernacular in order to, to fit in with them and, and use different words than I normally would and, mm-hmm. and change it and not really feeling at home within myself. Cause there's, the society's telling me what I should be, and and so is like the TV is telling me what I should be, and yep. and in that, and yeah. So it's always just like a, it's always a, just a, a maze for us to to navigate ourselves and in the outer world and the perception of us, because mm-hmm. that's always being thrown back at us is the importance of other people's perspective of us, and we're always mindful of that, and it's something that nobody should have to be mindful of how this person in their own experience processes my experience. Like that doesn't make any sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So what are, so going on uh, with like, you're expressing like your, your own experiences. Um, what were some of like those experiences or one of them that stood out to you that, that uh, maybe other people uh, reflected similar experiences or maybe some of your friends or family heard that and were taken aback or was it, what was the response or mm-hmm. to that? Um, before I say that, I'm, I'm going to, you, you, you were just talking about uh, growing up and like some of your interests. And it made me think about like when I was a kid, like how I would suppress like music that I liked mm. that wasn't like hip hop. Oh yeah, I like Spice Girls. Yeah, <laughs> I was all you know, in the sync, Backstreet. But, but like you know, like I mean, I I I wasn't I wasn't there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just outed myself. But but like yeah, like I man, like I used to like I had always been interested in like a lot of different types of music, and like I remember like as a kid just like hiding kind of everything that I liked that wasn't hip hop mm. because my brothers. So I'm the youngest of three. Uh, because I knew they would say, like, this is white boy music. Mm-hmm. Like, why why are you listening to that? We used to record. Uh, we used to, like, you know, um, sit and watch TV and, like, watch BET, MTV or something. We would always just record our favorite music videos. You know, old school playlist. That's how you did it uh, back in the day. Um, and, like, there were times where I would, like, would record a video, a music video of like, I don't know, it, it could be anything, just something that wasn't mm-hmm. hip hop. And like, I remember waking up, other people was like, yo, Brett, is this like, did you record this? <laughs> Blink 182. Yeah. Like, 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 why, like stop listening to all this white boy music. I'm like, it's music. Like, come on, man. You know? Um, but kind of going back to what you were talking about, about, uh, situations. Um, man, um, one of the ones that I shared, um, that I think a lot about just kind of going back what I was talking about a few minutes before about uh, being in white spaces and working with people who probably have never been around you before. Um, there was a situation uh, when I lived in Miami. Uh, it was a startup company. And so everybody, everybody that worked there was basically an import. We all moved from somewhere uh, to, to work there. Um, anyway, this is maybe like a couple of months into working there. And, and there was a guy that, uh, worked there who 
I knew, but like we really hadn't spoke a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow he had my number. I don't remember exchanging numbers with him. Um, anyway, uh, so one afternoon, like we would always get like happy hour drinks because our, our office is right next to a bar. And I'm just sitting there having some drinks and then I get a text message on my phone. I look at my phone and it's just a picture of chicken and waffles, oh fried God. chicken and waffles, like <laughs> no context, just a picture from a number that I have no idea who this is. So I respond, like I look, I'm like, all right, I don't know what this is. So I, I respond just going along with it just to see what it is. And I respond with like, wow, that looks delicious. Um, who is this? And then uh, I get a response. I'm not going to say the individual's name. I'll, I'll just call him um, Mike. <laughs> um, and he responds like, hey, uh, it's it's Mike. And I'm like, okay, um, hey, Mike, I didn't realize you had my number. Uh, why are you sending me a picture of chicken and waffles? <laughs> and kid you not, his response was, don't worry. I have some watermelon on the way. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. As if me asking him chicken and waffles, like as if that didn't set off. Yeah. Some he actually went deeper into Ugh. the hole that he had already kind of dug. Wow. So I didn't respond because I was like, I'm not gonna deal with this through text. Like, I need to deal with this in person. So this was a Friday afternoon. And Monday morning, first thing I do when I walk in, I walk straight up to Mike and I'm like, hey, Mike, let's talk outside. We get outside and he's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, "Um, what was up with that text message you sent me? And then from there forward, like his immediate reaction was like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, was that offensive? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Oh man, like really? Um, literally, I said nothing, you know. And he he was like, man, like I'm like I'm so sorry. Like we were talking about it one day, and I thought it was funny. I was just trying to to fit in. He's like, dude, like I feel like I'm about to cry right now. Like I'm I'm just so sorry. And it's mm. like at that point, I was like, I don't need to. Yeah, his, pile on. Yeah, like his his response felt genuine. Sure. Like I, I didn't feel the need to go in any further than I did. So I basically just said, hey, you know, that was not cool, you know, but I wanted to come and talk to you about it. Um, just, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But then from there forward, me and him had an, a great relationship. Like he was actually one of my like biggest supporters uh, at work. Um, you know, it, I felt like it was a good teaching moment mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, that's interesting. Like the person, so someone commits a quote unquote offense, but it's still up to you to exert the energy to correct the behavior. So it's like you throw a rock through my fucking window. And then I have to basically (laughs) put it back together to make the relationship move forward. It's like, there's like, where's like the accountability outside of like the refractory response to being punished or 
the awareness being placed on your wrongdoing. It's like, where is the accountability on your end, on the on the person's end to to question their like what they're doing and and mm-hmm. maybe learn or introduce yourself and and create an authentic relationship rather than being on the outskirts and taking doing basically a hail mary mm-hmm. to try to become closer to you or closer to somebody and just make yeah. this this uninformed gesture and it's like how about just like baseline humanity just like let's have a conversation like let's let's ask a question instead of just assuming like this is gonna go well i'm gonna assume that chicken and waffles <laughs> sent to the only black guy at the office yeah, is the right mode and it's just like it's and it's that's the the consistent thing it's like we always have to move through life like always trying to like accommodate break this break yeah. this wall yeah that, that and it's like we have to accommodate and it's like it's like uh, y'all have always been the aggressor and yet we have to be the peacemaker as well mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> we didn't start this war <laughs> yeah. yeah like it, it's like the number of times like people ask me like people at work wouldn't ask me like hey brett like what kind of music do you like like who's your favorite artist it, it's always who's your favorite rapper you know automatically assume that all I listen to is rap. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm like, little, little, little do these guys know. They're like, I know the lyrics to Coldplay's first four albums front to back, mm. which is probably like one of the widest things <laughs> I could probably say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the black people are like, yeah, okay, yeah, you, yeah. You, 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 you might want to have kept that one uh, in. I know, like, we'll edit that one yeah. out. No, no, keep it, keep it. I'm playing. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but like, just to prove a point, like, yeah. you know, people. They create they create this box like oh all he's got to listen to is hip hop and I and I, and I almost want to just always fall back on that but I'm like no I probably listen to like the whitest music ever and I like it mm-hmm. like don't put me in that box yeah. like instead of making that assumption instead of falling back on stereotypes which it's it's somehow difficult for me to understand like how when 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 people I say like specifically when it comes to like black people, how, why is it that people revert to stereotypes to relate? Like, I don't, well, I know, but it's like, why not just talk to me as a person? Yeah. Why do you have, why are you trying so hard to find some common ground to relate? And all of the things that you're trying to pull from are stereotypes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it, it's easier. It's a lot easier. And it's like people are fearful to to really like combat like their or to come up against like their programming and like their prejudice and, and the fear of not knowing. It's like the fear of, of like, uh, I'm wrong. I don't know. Like everyone wants to be right. And then people don't want to be like left out with without the knowing. And, and it's easier to just fall back on something that's that people have already done over and over again. It's like, oh, let's just go on the same path in in that comfort level with, all right, I'm just going to regurgitate like what has always been said because facing my own shit and, and admitting that I don't know is is a lot scarier than, than just listening to what my grandparents said and just going off of what they said however many years ago that doesn't, that's not relevant now. Word. Well, let's, let's do a segue. Where did you, yeah, where did you grow up? 
Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Well, part Wilmington, North Carolina, part small town called Regalwood that no one has ever heard of. Both of those places sound hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wilmington is right on the beach. Okay. Uh, That's true. Michael Michael Jordan's hometown. Oh, is it? Yeah. No shit. Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Greatness in the water. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wilmington, it's hot, but it's not like, you know, Florida hot. Yeah. Um, Regalwood is like a little bit uh, further inland. It's basically country. Cornfields, tobacco fields, uh, really not a whole lot going on there. Nice. What was growing up there like? Um, I'd say growing up there was pretty normal for the most part. Um, Wilmington, or I'd say like North Carolina in general, is like pretty diverse, like 50-50. Like definitely like Wilmington, um, you know, school was diverse, you know, never really had any kind of issues with like, I never really experienced any kind of like racism or Mm -hmm. any, any of those types of things growing up as a kid. Um, but yeah, Wilmington was, was cool. Um, Regalwood was not. Regalwood was not. Regalwood was not. (laughs) I hear in Wilmington that it's like very, very difficult to, to check out books from the library from Uh, 1898. (laughs) Like super, super, uh, difficult to, to learn about the history of Wilmington. Uh, very nice segue. Yeah, I know, right? Very, I know. Very, very, like, very nice segue. Two. Yeah, take it, it, two. It, it, it's like topic. everything just goes so much smoother. So what I'm highlighting, uh, Brett shared uh, a story of his hometown um, of Wilmington of basically like a black utopia. Uh, doctors, predominantly black Wilmington was with doctors, lawyers, teachers, politicians, and a thriving, thriving community that was uh, basically massacred and savagely taken over. Do you want to go into a little bit of it? Because I know it's it was news for you, which is why yeah. it caught me off guard. I was like, oh my god! Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's something that like growing up there, never heard about it, didn't know anything about it. Until literally like two weeks ago, where a friend of mine that I grew up with, she made a post, and then I was like, "Wait, really?" Um, so yeah, I mean, just like you said, it was basically just kind of like a black utopia, and basically, white North Carolina was not about that. Mm-mm. Yeah, because they had they had a like I was I was watching the video, and they had like four congressmen, Republican congressmen, mm-hmm. all black men that were like in the United States Congress, like they're a part of government. Like these are government officials, elected, democratically elected government officials in Wilmington, North Carolina. And and basically just became taken over. I don't like I don't even know like like a coup. Like a, mm-hmm. a like they came in and just completely just like murdered and burned down all of the black businesses and and to have that that history basically wiped away because that's your hometown and this giant part of like American history like just not being open to the public or at least like under lock and key in a sense and and mm-hmm. and not knowing that that part of the history is is wild like how do you like process that 
that big secret mm-hmm. right under your nose. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can always read about like history of like your country, um, but growing up, like nobody really ever talked about like the history of like our town, you know, unless you like, if you grew up in a place like New York, like some major city, like where like everything happened there. So you, you, you know, Boston, yeah, New York, Rockefeller. Place. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> like you, like whenever you learn American history, everything is, you know, those cities, but you know, these little towns like Wilmington, you know, nobody at a mass scale talks about, you know, the things that went down in these, in these small towns. So when you hear about these things, <clears throat> it just brings it closer to home, you know, and it, it really just puts into perspective like how um, purposeful that it was that people, white people, set black people back or tried like the level, the lengths that they went to mm-hmm. to keep us down. And it's disturbing when you fast forward to today, because what year was that? 1898. 1898. That's not that far. We're on the come up, too. Like, back then, like, four members of Congress, like, from the same town? So, so here's the thing. 1898. My grandmother, or grandmother, rest in peace, she was born, like, 1920. Mm -hmm. You go one one generation back, great-grandma. Right there. Right there. Yeah. So it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah it's like, imagine it's like one of those, bus- like one ago. of the businesses that got burned down. It's like to pass that business as- yeah. as- along. That's the same thing as a Walgreens, ladies and gentlemen. This, that's how those things become built and become institutions and become corporations is this little, mm-hmm. like this little stand that, that sells beeswax or oil or whatever agricultural product like in wilmington that's how you get like a pepsico and like all of these giant companies is through generations it grows and, and it's allowed to grow but in a lot of like scenarios and just black for black americans it's like you get stomped out and you're not allowed to grow you're not allowed to to pass along the business to your family. There's rules and regulations that that prevent you from expansion and from growing and, and they and it, that's outside of just your life being is on the line at every every cross. It's like your life, you're fighting for your life, your freedom at all times and and yeah, just to just to have like another experience or be shown another example of the history of America. It just, it's just a wonder like how they, like things are like exactly the same. And for, for anybody who doesn't understand like the plight of black Americans and just American, like if you don't understand by now and just pleading ignorance, it's like there's examples all over the place. And then it's just like, you grew up in Wilmington, but you just learned about this happening now. But it's the same story, but it just hits a little mm-hmm. bit closer to home when it's, yeah, when it is home. Yeah, when literally, <laughs> it's home. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. So, Wilmington, growing up, when when did you find art? Because you're a 3D designer now. Like, when did that passion develop and, and what was that journey 
Uh, a very long journey. Um, I think, yeah, a very, very long journey for me. Um, art was kind of my thing as a kid. Um, I didn't play sports growing up. I didn't really do a whole lot growing up. So drawing was like the kind of thing that just basically really motivated me. Um, so was really into drawing. And I think uh, right when I hit 13, like my family went through some um, less than ideal financial hardships. Um, but I think that really uh, made life very real for me. And in turn, uh, as a benefit of our unfortunate situation, I think it really kind of set me on this uh, path to kind of be uh, where I am today. Um, so essentially growing up, I was always into drawing. Um, and then like I just touched on uh, when I was like 12 or 13, um, through some really unfortunate circumstances, uh, my family, we literally lost everything. Uh, and it happened like over the course of like, well, the seeds started being planted like one year, but then like over the course of the summer, like in the school, like my seventh grade year, like life was normal. And then starting school the next year, I'm in a different place, different circumstance, everything. Um, and what happened was my dad made some, you know, unfortunate decisions. And like one week, our lights got cut off. We were out of power for like a couple of weeks, you know, cold showers, candles. Um, I remember friends trying to come over and trying to come in and hang. And like, I remember being outside one day with, with my older brother and one of our friends was like, Hey, I want to come in and like play, play video games. And you know, we're sitting here outside and he, he doesn't know that our house is like mm. pitch black mm -hmm. and we're sitting here making up every excuse that we can. Like, Oh, you know, my mom, you know, she's cleaning or she's doing this or whatnot, you know, cause we didn't, nobody wants anybody, you know, even if you're a kid, you don't want kids knowing like how, what kind of situation you're living in. So, like, our lights got cut off. A week later, water got cut off. Um, after that, kind of the writing was on the wall that, like, the next thing that had to go was, like, our house. So, we ended up having to move to um, the house that my grandmother used to live in, um, which is about 20-so uh, miles away uh, in Regalwood, North Carolina, which is super small town. Like, one, gra one gas station, one grocery store, cornfields, tobacco fields. You know, your your neighbor is, you got to walk, like, a lot of dirt roads, you know, country. You know, there's nothing going on there. There's no creativity. You know, there's there's no money in the education there. It's like you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So, um, when all that happened, like, it really, like, I think, like, really, like, changed my personality, like before I was like kind of outgoing and just like a normal kid. And then that happened. And it's just like, I became like really isolated and introverted. Um, but then because of that, it really made me really tap into like drawing. Cause it was like the one thing that I could control. Um, what were your favorite things to draw? Watched a lot of anime growing up. A lot of anime growing up, uh, a lot of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, me and my brother, like we used to draw together. So we used to, like, we were 
coming up with like our own like anime series, drawing our own characters, etc. Um, and then I mentioned this like on our first uh, <laughs> on the first run, yeah, <laughs> first or, our, or our or, or our first run. It's like looking back at it now and thinking about all the things that me and my brother used to draw. Like I've never thought about it until like recently. Is that here are two black kids, and basically every character that we were drawing and every character that we were coming up with, all of them were white, and I can understand it now as an adult. Is because well, there's no black cartoons mm-hmm. like that, you know. And if they are, you have to you have to find them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're not they weren't being aired on you know Saturday morning cartoons. So not only that, there's no like black superheroes. So it's like you you never see your you you're never represented mm-hmm. in any media or any of the things that you see. So like as a kid, like subconsciously, it's like it's not even a thought. Oh, I'm gonna make up a character. Oh, he's white. Yeah, yeah. You don't even think about it. Yeah, that's just all you see. That is so wild, and it's like that's why it's so important now that it's like we create that. Like shout out to like Hebrew Brantley, who's making black superheroes. Like uh, Jason Maiden from uh, Super Heroic. He used to be a designer at Nike, and then started Super Heroic. So it's like a like a shoe clothing, but child superhero centric and black child superhero centric um but yeah like it's so important for like artists now to like like we see it with like black panther and and all that kind of stuff but it's like like we need to go all in on it like it just needs to be overflowed just so it's not like the one-off thing it's like oh the one-off spin-off little thing little special edition black superhero it's like no it's like it can be all black superheroes like in it's still not enough period so growing up as a kid like doing dragon ball z anime and and drawing a whole bunch of white superheroes <laughs> when when did you start taking it like seriously and start seeing like oh this could be like my 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 career at in a sense i'd say like um i really knew that i really wanted to pursue a career in this i'd say like junior senior year of high school like at that point, like I was spending a lot of time drawing, like mm-hmm. in class. I, I basically lived uh, like in in the art room. You know, I didn't I didn't paint. I didn't do you know. I didn't oil paint. No, we didn't. We didn't have all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you all fancy. You know, it's all, just a mess. Yeah, you literally know, literally a mess. So like all I had was pencils, mm-hmm. pencils and paper. Um. And like my art teacher in high school, like he, like he really, um, I think helped me out a lot, like gave me like a lot of pointers and kind of realized like my talent, et cetera. Um, but I never really thought about it as a career until, um, the school that I ultimately, ultimately ended up going to in Raleigh, um, at the time it was called the school of communication arts. It's just like a, I guess you can call it like a technical school, trade Mm -hmm. school. Uh, they don't offer BAs, they, they don't, you know, you can't, you're not, you're not going to get a degree. I think the highest degree that they offered was an associates, which I didn't even choose to go that route. But basically, you know, schools travel to high schools to kind of recruit people to come in. And they came to my high school and did like a presentation like, hey, we teach 3D animation. You could get a job at Pixar. You could get a job at DreamWorks, you know, et cetera. And 
I don't know. It just, something was like, huh, I think I might do that. Yeah. <laughs> so like I didn't, coming out of high school, like I didn't, I didn't apply, or at least I can't recall, I didn't apply or really seriously look at any four-year universities. Like I didn't look anywhere. The only thing that I looked at was like that school that came to, teach, to talk to my class because mm. it was the only thing that got put in front of me. I didn't know, like nobody in my family went to college. Nobody, my parents really weren't that involved in like my education. So they weren't really the type of parents that were like, hey, you know, son, you're really smart. You should do this. You should go here. Nah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. honestly don't think I've ever had a conversation with my parents about college and mm-hmm. higher education. So yeah, they came and did a presentation and then I was like, huh, I think I want to do this. And then like me and my brother moved to Raleigh <laughs> with the school. Wow. Yeah. Which is funny that I think about like that happened like over a month. So like I graduated high school, I was working at Walmart and so it's like July and like at that point in time, like we still hadn't really made any moves to go to school, but like I knew I wanted to go to school. Like we had went, we had visited, and like that last month before the the, the school year started, uh, I don't know. I was just like, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like my brother, I was like, hey, like you you draw with me, like let's go, you know. So we just literally over the course of a month, we applied and decided to move up there. Wow, that's so like that's such a blessing. Like even like I'm sure like when you reflect back upon it, where it's like like the work that you were already putting putting in towards that type of career, but then like that calling or like that passion like gets met halfway. Like that that is a very like interesting thing where it's where it's like you're putting all of this this energy towards something, but then like the other piece of it comes in and then it basically created like your career and it's like your mm-hmm. life moving forward. So your fr- you said your first opportunity professionally was at EA, right? Yep. EA games. EA games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, arguably the biggest game company in the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what, which uh, games were you creating or what was your actual like role there and, and what games were you on? Uh, so I was a 3D artist, um, worked on a lot of sports titles. Mm-hmm. So worked on some Madden titles. So yeah, so this is, yeah, when I, when I got that job, it was 2008. Like, let, let me tell you how lucky when I think back timing, how important timing is to so many different things. Because 2008, that's when, you know, the whole crash happened. Mm. And coming out of school um like i said I did, it was just a two-year program i graduated with a diploma in computer animation not something that i would post up on my wall you know but it's like the school really wasn't that good honestly i taught myself a lot of what i knew um, sure. those two years that i was in school were basically two years of like this is not a game i really don't have a plan b mm-hmm. I, again i didn't apply to four universities so it was kind of like do or die. I either make this work or I'm going to have to like work at like Walmart. Um, 
fortunately, like I put so much work in and I was so focused during those two years that I felt like when I graduated, my portfolio looked like somebody that had been like in school for like four years because mm-hmm. I just lived, you know, woke up, stayed up late, eat, work, didn't have fun, didn't party, didn't talk to girls. Those two years were like not a game for me at all. Mm-hmm. So I remember being in class, instructors telling me like, you know, just, you know, make sure, you know, you guys control your expectations. You know, don't, don't expect your first job coming out of school to be at, you know, some big company like EA. Like I'm like in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're wrong. Yeah. They ain't going to work for me. (laughs) Maybe for them. Yeah. Just wait. Uh, So they had opened up a studio like, the same month that I graduated in Raleigh and I'll just make a long story short and I ended up getting a job there. So I graduated in November, February, I was working at EA. Wow. That's fucking awesome. So where did, so you're designing games. Well, 3D artists in games. Yeah. So creating the art for the games. Yep. Because I, I looked at your website and I'm just like, you have such like a wide scope of mm-hmm. work because you mentioned you worked at Cole Haan as well and like beautiful, de- beautifully designed shoes. And it's like, you don't come off as like a sneakerhead per mm-hmm. se dude, but it's like you design shoes as well. I've seen like your, like the, the, like the anatomy subjects that you have mm-hmm. in your portfolio. Yeah, like the Honda S two thousand, like the car, like the car renders <laughs> yeah. as well. By the way, like I'm just putting this out there. I would love a 3D model of myself, <laughs> like in an outfit with like my dog or something. Yeah. At some point, I'm just putting it out there. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so how did so how did you navigate the like the 3D space? Like you like you're at Nike now, or you're footwear developer correct uh 3d designer 3d designer it's like it's such like a vast space it's like how do you how do you settle on like the certain uh expressions like how did you get from games like what made you want to go over to shoes and and not cars Mm -hmm. man how how much time you got Uh, we got go on about like about 15 20 minutes there's there's another topic i want to touch too okay okay cool (laughs) Oh man, so um, how do how do I pivot to footwear, man? Like so, like 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 I said earlier about like timing. Timing is everything, and realizing opportunities, and being prepared, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, being prepared that when an opportunity comes your way, or that when it's put in front of you, that you've put in the work to be prepared mm. to take advantage of it. Yeah. Um. So. I worked at EA for about six years. After that, I moved to Miami. Was at a startup company down in Miami. Uh, was a 3D artist. Uh, was also uh, art producer uh, for our team. And the company was a startup, so it consumed my life. Like consumed my life. Like 80-hour weeks, weekends, consistently. And I was there for three years, and basically, I was just getting burned out. And the video games industry, that's pretty common in the video games industry, like development cycles. You 
you the expectation and it's part of the culture really is you know hey i'm staying this late you know you don't want to leave before the person sitting next to you mm. because it looks like you're not oh wow in. damn people Ca- caffeine and ritalin <laughs> And it's almost like a badge of honor. It's like yeah. it's like the kind of thing that would like people take pride in. Like, man, I I slept in the office last night. Like, okay, you funky ass, <laughs> nasty. You know, like people take pride in that. Like yeah. that. Look how hard I'm working. And I just, you know, I, I did that for so long, and I just got to a point. I was like, man, like I don't. This can't be my life. Like I I, I don't want to give everything that I have for a job that ultimately doesn't care about me which is also going back to games it's layoffs and things of that sort are extremely common um so basically uh how what really made me get into footwear specifically was like i said uh the guy coming to my high school to present 3d animation uh and like you said i don't come across as like a sneakerhead like I'm all about like my interests are just all over the place. Yeah. Same. All over the place. So like I've always been interested in like fashion and like design and stuff. And like me working in video games, I was always people would always make a point like, yo, Brett, like what are these shoes you got on? Like, why is your shirt matching your shoes? Like <laughs> how, like where where'd you get that? You know? But um what happened was uh 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 a five minute conversation with my then girlfriend uh one morning like she just she was really into like fashion and all that kind of stuff and then she's like hey like i know you're looking for like a creative outlet and she's like hey i saw this guy um who designed some shoes and he like his like zora like hired him or featured his design or something i don't know and she's like you know like you have a good design eye you know how to do 3d like maybe you should think about you know designing shoes it was like a five-minute conversation, mm. just passing. Somehow, it stuck. It stuck. Wow. Like, a week later, I'm sketching shoes, and then I'm sketching and sketching. I hadn't really sketched in a long time, and then I was like, well, hey, some of these look pretty good. Well, I know how to do 3D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could take this further to the sketch. Yeah. And then, so I took some of my designs and made some 3D renders of them, and... I did, and I was doing this like just purely for fun after work. Uh, so I was doing this for about like almost a year, mm-hmm. just coming home and designing stuff purely for fun, staying up late, no real goal in mind except I was just having a lot of fun being creative. Mm. And I made an Instagram page and just started posting my stuff up. About three months after I posted or created my page, I had like 50 followers. I did not have a big audience at all. Somehow, one of them hashtags worked, and uh, the director of 3D at Cole Hahn sent me a DM and was like, hey, love your work. You're interested in an opportunity. I didn't even know what Cole Hahn was. Wow. I didn't even know where Cole Hahn was. Damn. So, fast forward 10 months, I decided to leave Miami to go to New Hampshire, which is... Miami is the epitome of diversity. Yeah. New Hampshire is 
like probably like one of the whitest states. Yeah, <laughs> I could only imagine in, in, in the country. But I was so comfortable making that move because it, it felt like the right move. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was going to have issues with diversity. I knew I was going to probably going to be the only black person. I knew it was going to be cold. But I was like, I don't know, man. This 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 feels like a good career move. Mm-hmm. Uh, a month later, after I moved to New Hampshire, a friend texts me from my, the job that I worked at in Miami. It's like, hey, guess what happened today? I'm like, what? The game we were working on got canceled, and we all just got laid off. Wow. A month later. Yeah. It dodge like that you bullet. Could, like, find yourself in the right place at the, the right, right time. time. But, like, the through line is, like, you've been prepared for every single thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, without even knowing the final destination, too, yep. though. It's, like, you control what you can control. And, like, the opportunities will come up as long as you're, like, engaged and focused. And that's something that I'm, like, learning with like my inner work is like with my meditations and, and just getting so in contact with like who I am and what I offer the world and being satisfied with like what I'm giving and just really focused on that. And then like the kind of like the, the internal, like I would say like directional coordinates, like I can trust that having trust in yourself is, Mm -hmm. is something that I'm, I've been developing and and learning. I'm learning now to like articulate it, but it's a different feeling like inside of the body when when you do trust yourself and you know that you're putting in work like good work. That's like that's that's you the way that you do it. Like some people are like like long distance runners, and then it's like oh, there's a 5k next week. Do you want to go? And it's like oh, I've been running this whole time. But it's like it's like that's a that's a clunky example. But it's like when you're like when you're ready, you don't have to get ready. Like that whole thing, it's like you're able to take that opportunity and mm-hmm. and that inspiration from from that previous girlfriend. She's not in your life anymore. Like no. like she 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 gave you the layup. Well, you like know that's the code right there. It's like <laughs> like oh baby. Uh, yeah, I mean yeah, like, it 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 didn't, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't it didn't work out, but she she knows how grateful I was yeah. to her. I, I gave her a lot of credit. I was like, you know, but before, before I moved, like even after we broke up, I was like, Hey, can we meet up for a drink? I just want to let you know, like you planted the seed. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that that goes nicely into our next topic. How's dating in this city? Cause I know, oh, I know, man. I know you, I know you posted like at the end of that thing. <laughs> like I know, like, it's like, yeah, the design things, all that stuff's cool and all, but oh, man. what's it, what's it been like? Man, um, ooh, this one in Portland. This Oregon. one, man. Um, I, I'd say New Hampshire prepared me for Portland mm. because, like I said, uh, New Hampshire again is a extremely uh, white place, uh, and the city that I lived in was called Portsmouth, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, right on the coast. Um, so basically, like, yeah, if if you want to, if you're a non-white person and you want to date and you live in that place, well, either you say, hey, I'm fine with dating outside my race, or you just don't date at all. Mm. And like, personally, like, race doesn't matter to me. Like, I date the person, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, Portland's been interesting. <laughs> I think, okay, so... When I look in the mirror, I say, Aaron, you are Portland's most eligible bachelor. (laughs) And then when I kick it in your living room, I'm like, 
I think Brett may have you <laughs> So I'm surprised like I'm like I'm surprised there isn't like a line out the door. You telling me? Yeah, bro. I was like, shit, this is clean. Like, <laughs> like how like it's like nobody's like been able to trick either of us. It's like it's like we're not gonna like just go out there and just oh, go man. like like go with just anybody. Like I find yeah. I find like a generally just like a lot of like flakiness even like i found myself to be flaky i'm i'll hold myself accountable but i think the the fact of just like not settling and as i'm growing and and getting clearer on what i want and and not putting up with the things that i used to and processing old relationship dynamics that aren't healthy for me and like oh why do i keep falling into this same these same trappings of of pretty woman but doesn't really offer anything outside of that and getting myself like really addressing that that habit that was developed in like high school and stuff and mm-hmm. finding my worthiness outside of myself like oh i'm looking at those things and it's like okay like address those things but it's like as i'm ascending it's like i need to find like my equal mm-hmm. and i don't i've had a hard time finding my equal in a city where everyone is so focused on being like one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that's kind of like the space that I'm at. It's like, yeah, I, I want to find my equal. I'm not someone that's going to settle. That's for sure. Um, but like specifically talking about Portland and one of the things to kind of make this come full circle, because you started talking about my uh, story. Like I, I shared a couple of like situations where like, As a black man and then dating like outside your race, um, and I've experienced this in Portland and in New Hampshire, where you, you kind of hit this wall and you kind of realize that like, wow, like, man, like some girls really have like a little like this kind of fetish thing about black men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would imagine that a lot of girls and I've had conversations with girls and they told me, you know, this about maybe some black men in Portland and some black men like, like they like that. Like, right. They, they, they like, you know, a girl keying in on like these fetishes. Yeah. Objectification. That's not, that's, that's not me. That's There's not no me. soul in that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So like, um, yeah, man. Like, there's there's been just like a couple of a couple of situations. Uh, one one specifically, um, this this girl, and she was a great girl. Um, and like one day, uh, we were talking, and then uh, you know, she was talking about like how like she likes to date black men, which is like okay, fine. I'm a curious person. Like, I like to like dig a little bit. I'm like, you know, I'm curious. Why? <laughs> um, she didn't really give any specific reasons, but she. She she said one thing that just that just stuck, and she was like, "Yeah, you know, um, growing up, you know, I, I dated a lot of like white men, and then um, it wasn't until when I moved to college that I discovered black flesh." This is a sushi restaurant? <laughs> like what? Flesh. That word is disgusting. Oh, it it's is. It's so disgusting. It is. Like, when do you ever say the word flesh? Ugh, it's so visceral. It's like it's outside of like just the skin. It's like it's like a it's like an inch 
it's like an inch like into person outside of skin that's just that's all of it it's, yeah it's kind of gross you know like yeah like that comment was just very like whoa like do you run into like that just like the that similarly to like the chicken and waffles like black flesh and chicken and waffles kind of like belong in that same like a similar category where it's just like the disconnect of humanity is baked into uh certain people and it's like do you run into that 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 construct a lot even like in the dating sense where it's just like we're we're being objectified and it's like oh like this person like yeah they have a smile on their face but like the things that are going on in their mind aren't aren't drawn from connect like a real connection with me as a person rather than like the image Mm -hmm. and storyline that they're just like propagating over and over again yeah um and like some of it um like the story that i was telling earlier about uh mike and the chicken and waffles where kind of people put you in this box um i've kind of run into that like a lot with like dating where like um women who like to date black men, they probably have a specific image or type of black man that they mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Which I think a lot of times is like the the normal like athlete rapper type, you know, dude. Um so like I've had girls tell me like, oh like you're like you're not like all the other like black men in Portland. Like, I don't know. You, you just, you know, you don't walk around like you could just, you know, walk in and get any girl that you want because you know that you're a black dude and probably any white girl would be happy to have you. I'm like, what? what? It's like, people do that? <laughs> she knows more than me. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then it's like, um, like I remember one time in, um, in New Hampshire, this girl, uh, we went on a few dates and she was a girl who specifically liked to date black men and we're talking one day and then she's like, yeah, you know, like I really, I really like to date black men, but she's like, but your, your demeanor is like more like British than black. British. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. British than black. British. British. Black. British. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's when people just project their their limited experience and just everybody coming in is just like, oh, how can I relate? It's like, oh, I only know how to relate with my experience, so I'm going to force you into this thing and and tell you why you don't fit into it now. It's just like, what? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting dating city, and I've had decent... Eh, I don't, not a lot. There's just not a lot of there, like to work with, like intellectually. It's mm-hmm. like you could tell, like the just the types of ways of like expression. It's just like I keep running into like like faux spiritual, like party girl. Like there hasn't been like independent thinker. There mm-hmm. hasn't been like a ton of like oh, like you are an autonomous thinker person that's just trying to figure things out and and learn about yourself and grow and like it's out there but this city is i've been here four years and it's like i've been on like a couple of decent dates it's like (laughs) uh where y'all at where y'all at awesome 
Well, I think we've been talking for an hour now. I'm sure we're going to continue this part of the discussion after this, but I want to thank you for joining this podcast. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, if you want to see some of the work that Aaron was talking about earlier, um, you can go to brettbrowndesign.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, Instagram is my main social media. Um, my handle is at solid underscore lion. Wow. Which, 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 which a lot of people ask you what that is a reference to. And it's, I'm a gamer. If you ever played the video game Metal Gear Solid, the main character is named Solid Snake. And lions are my favorite animal. Solid. Cue my parking kitty. Solid lion. And we heard the, yeah. Yeah. Actually, like, I'm not a big gamer, but Metal Gear Solid, the first one, was like, that was like the illest illest game. Like, I was like, just like the art and everything. Like, I could barely get past, like, the first, like, little part of the level. But I'm just like, oh, this is hard. Like, I don't even care. Like, style. I was like, that was, like, they nailed that one. Word. Well, thank you, Brett, and thank, thank you for you having all, me. Thank you all for listening to Opening Presents. Mm-hmm.